Podcasting from anywhere other than a jail cell, this is Soberholic, a podcast created to encourage, equip, and inspire you to overcome your hurts, habits, and hangups. And now, your show hosts, Roger and Jason. Hey! Oh, I beat you! <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Soberholic Radio. My name's Roger, and I'm with Jason. Yep. And uh, we got a special guest who we're going to introduce in a minute, but... So... Why don't we do this? I mean, wh- why don't we do this whole show? I got Put, you with that question. How about that? Putting me on the spot. Yeah. Well, for one, it's to break the stigma of recovery. Mm-hmm. You know, um, 10, 15 years ago, you couldn't openly talk about recovery mm-hmm. without fear of what it might do in your career or with your family or with your children or whatever. It just wasn't something that was talked about openly. And so I think that's very helpful. Um, hopefully our listeners are, are listening to some of the different people we have on, the different guests we have on that struggle with different things, and they're thinking, hey, I struggle with that too. I'm not alone. Yeah, one of the cool things is as we have these guests like we do today is we get to hear testimonies of hope, and that's a cool thing because I know when I was out there drinking and using, I had no hope. And um, you know, people could tell me all the time what I needed to do but it was a matter of seeing someone else live it out. You know, that's what gave me hope. And so it's cool to get to hear stories like we're going to hear in a little bit about that. And and I would even encourage our guests, if you're one of those people who have a story of hope, to send it to us. Yes. Uh, we can get that at SoberHolicPodcast at gmail.com, um, or you can just send it to us on our Facebook account. Yeah, and one thing that this podcast has done for me personally is not only do I get to talk about recovery all the time, which helps my own recovery, I get to regularly meet with my sponsor, so I can say I actually talked to my sponsor. Uh, but the other thing that it does is it's opened up a lot of doors um, in real life to talk to people about recovery. Um, I, I have people, you know, ask all the time, hey, you know, I'm struggling with this. And they'll they'll go on and tell me about what they're struggling about, and they'll ask for advice, or they'll they'll have a loved one that's suffering from some type of addiction, and so that's really um, my favorite part of this podcast is it's allowed me to help other people more than I was. Well, let's get to it, man. Introduce our guest to us. Well, this is Ruch, Russell H. Can I use your... <laughs> yeah, it's Hooks. Hooks. <laughs> okay. my last name. Well, you know... I never knew it. I just learned something. <laughs> uh, well, in our emails, it was Russell H. Uh, gotcha. But one of, our, one of my favorite things to do about this podcast is we get to meet new people in recovery. And so, welcome, Russell. Yeah, glad to be here. Well, you go look at me, huh? <laughs> so, so, tell me, Russell, um, I, I am completely outsider. You and Jason have some back and forth here. Yeah. Um, on through emails. And so, I, I tell me a little bit about yourself, maybe. Well, first of all, how, how did, let me ask this to both of y'all. How did we get, how did you end up here today? Well, apparently, Jason's wife followed me on Instagram. Uh, you know, I run an Instagram account called Happenings the Ham along with my wife, Amber. Uh, we started uh, a blog a few years ago and have a website, Instagram, Facebook, and all that. But apparently, your wife found me on uh, yep. Instagram. I had posted my uh, five-year chip, which I do every year when I get a, a new chip. I like to post it on Instagram and uh, and share it with people. And I guess she saw that post. Yeah, so, so totally you, random. Yeah, so yeah. you're what we call a soberholic. So right. Who's yeah, I guess willing so. to talk yeah. about their recovery. Right. And that's cool, um, seeing, mm-hmm. g- given your spotlight and what you do and still openly talking about your recovery. Because right. as we talked about a minute ago, not everybody gets the opportunity to do that. Right. You know, some people are just in positions that they can't talk about it. 
and, and you get to, um, or, or you choose to, maybe is the right. best way to say that. A little bit of both. Mm-hmm. Yep. So uh, let's start maybe with your recovery or, or prior to recovery. Right. What brought you into a need for recovery? Yeah. So I, um, you know, as most people, you know, graduate high school, went to college and in high school, you know, I was not one of those people that drank in high school just because it was like a cost benefit thing. I was like, eh, it's not worth it. I'll get to college and have fun there. So went to college, you know, uh, went to Montevallo, which is an amazing school, had, uh, you know, wonderful friends, fraternity brothers, all that. Uh, but, you know, did lots of drinking there. And it kind of became a, a thing. Uh, and I was what you would classify as a binge drinker. I didn't drink on a daily basis. I didn't have a desire to drink on a daily basis. But where I did drink, you know, and, you know, whether it's a margarita night or whether it's a party on Saturday, it was just, you know, no holds barred. Once I started, I was going to just keep going. Mm. So uh, that was my, my MO. Uh, and that, you know, kind of ebbed and flowed. And then after college, it continued. Um, I met my now wife and we started dating. And then right before we got married, you know, she kind of noticed that if I got stressed or whatever, if we went out to have a good time, I would just drink too much. And then she had to worry about taking care of me. So she brought it up. Uh, and then unfortunately, I have a, a cousin who I was very, very close to. We were raised almost like siblings. We were five months to, to, to the day apart in age. And she passed away from uh, liver failure due to drinking. Mm. Um, that was and uh, that was really hard for our family. And I saw that and about 30 days after that, you know, my wife was like, hey, you know what? You need to uh, not put your family through that, not put me through that. Uh, it's not quite, you know, insanely out of hand yet. You go ahead and just, you know, make a decision. Uh, so I went to a, a meeting, uh, picked up a, a silver chip and have been sober ever since. Thank goodness. And uh, that's that's how it started. Uh, I've never, again, I like to say that I wasn't chemically addicted yet. I know alcoholism is progressive, uh, but I was socially addicted. So mm. if I, I play my social calendar around drinking, if I went to a party, I wanted to have a drink in my hand at all times, that kind of thing. So, yeah. So when you say that you, um, I think binge drinking is the way right. that you described it. I like that because um, a lot of people say, well, I don't drink every day, so I don't have a problem. Sure. I said the same thing. Mm-hmm. So did, I mean, just... Was that like a weekly thing, a monthly thing? I, I'd say weekly, you know, and almost like you know, two days a week kind of thing, depending on like if we went and played trivia at a bar on, on Thursday night or, you know, Friday night, you know, just depending on what it was, watching football games, you know, that kind of thing is an all-day affair. Um, but, you know, then when it affects your, you know, having to get up and do something the next day, my wife and I make plans to do something and I'm hungover and I'm like, oh, I don't feel like going out, you know, that's not fair to her, you know, that kind of situation. Um, but really, uh, it, again, it was, it's definitely something that socially I was using it as a cope mechanism, had anxiety. So it was like, oh, Hey, I'll just, you know, drink and I won't be anxious, you know, and it, it helped to a point, but then you keep drinking and then it doesn't help. It gets worse. So, uh, that's what I was you know dealing with on a, a regular basis. Did you find it awkward to go out and because you mentioned fraternity brothers yeah. a lot? Mm-hmm. Did you find it awkward going out with them and not drink? So what's funny is that uh, when I first got sober, I didn't want to tell uh, my close friend group. I was out of college. I still hung out with a lot of fraternity brothers and close friends. We watched football together. I was three months sober when uh, football season started. We're Alabama fans. We watched the games together. No time. Like, no. Right? So, <laughs> yeah. So uh, I was like, well, that. how can I, you know, be sober and not drink without them asking questions? I just didn't want them to feel awkward around me. It was more, you know, I wasn't embarrassed about it. It was more like I don't want them to walk on eggshells. And so I, um, I have a friend who uh, he quit smoking. He's been, you know, five years tobacco free. 
So we made a, it's called a slap bet from How I Met Your Mother. I don't know if you've seen the show where oh, yeah. if, if he smoked a cigarette, I had to slap him. If I drank, he had to slap me. And I told him <laughs> I was in recovery. Was this like a legit there. slap? Uh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, my wife was kind of like in charge of, of moderating that. So <laughs> it became a, a bet amongst my friends. They were just kind of waiting to see. And then as I got like six, seven months into it, um, I started letting them in like, oh, by the way, I'm also in recovery. Um, you know, I just didn't want you guys to feel weird about it. Um, you know, that kind of thing. So mm-hmm. and they were all like, oh, well, congratulations. Great job. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, one thing that I hear from your story is, you know, whenever I'm in a recovery meeting and, and we're talking about, you know, different principles in recovery, um, one thing I always think about is that saying, you can get off the elevator whenever, whenever you want to, right. it's going down. You can get off whenever you want to. And my home group, um, in new Orleans, the name of it was called, called raise the bottom. And so, you know, that's one thing that I hear from your story is you, your bottom may not have been under a bridge, homeless and right. all that. I was very fortunate in that. Respect. Right. Yeah. And so I think that's a great story because so many people in their minds, they're like, well, I'm not under the under the bridge with a bottle and a brown bag, so I'm not an alcoholic, you know. But it, it's it's just important to what you think about your your relation to, to whatever addiction that you're going through. That's what really matters, and is it causing you pain? And so, if your answer is something that you're doing, some kind of habit or addiction, is it causing you pain? You know, it might be time to look at it then. And someone actually mentioned to me, you know, I kept saying, oh, well, my life is not unmanageable. I, I can manage. And that was one of the things. Like, oh, okay. Um, and someone's like, well, what if you take your wife out of the equation? Is it manageable then? And I was mm. like, oh, not really. Because she's kind of the one, you know, making sure that everything's in place and, and getting done while um, I'm out having fun, you know, and a lot, a lot of the time. And so that was kind of a wake-up call as well. And ironically, I had applied to a UAB study uh, about people who are binge drinkers or, you know, excessive mm-hmm. drinkers and uh i had decided when my cousin had passed away i decided to be sober for 30 days just to see i could do it you know white knuckle it and i did so when they called me back i was like no i haven't drank in the last 30 days and they're like, oh well you're not an alcoholic i'm like oh <laughs> see the person see, they told me. my I wife's like proof. no 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 that person doesn't know you so yeah so i mean again i'm just i'm listening to this just as you're saying this uh-huh. but usually what i hear in recovery is the first thing you need to do is change your playmates and playgrounds. Right. Mm-hmm. But with your fraternity brothers, you mm-hmm. it sounds like you had sound friends that didn't maybe drink like you did. You just took it to the extreme. Right. That's true. Uh, and I do agree with that. If if you are going to the same bars and, and all that, you definitely, if that's an issue, that's definitely something you should consider, you know, changing up. But in my case, you know, a lot of my friends who are in recovery, you know, it's like they're surprised at how many of their friends weren't surprised when like, oh, I'm in recovery. Like, oh, really good. You know, we, we, and you're like, how come you tell me this last year? Like, you wouldn't listen. And that's the thing is like everyone has their own point where they have to come to their own conclusion of like, I'm ready to be in recovery. Because if, if you force it on someone, you know, college me, there's no way I would have been like, okay, yeah, I'm ready to quit drinking for the rest of my life. I mean, that's a, a huge overwhelming thing. Thing. Um, so yeah, they, they were very supportive. I was very fortunate that they were supportive and, and definitely were like, yeah, it's probably for the best. <laughs> so. Cause it sounds like the, the death from your, was it your cousin? Yeah, my cousin. Mm-hmm. Um, was instrumental in your recovery. It was kind of like one of those things. It was, help. it, yeah, it was but, a turning point for sure. Um, but, but also there, there had to be a point where you just saw that 
you, the alcohol, alcohol was in control of you. Yeah, I was definitely getting tired of it, and and that's you know my wife was definitely like could tell, and she uh, you know stepped in and said, hey, you know you're getting tired of this. I can tell it's it's weighing on you, and and so that was just a catalyst, I guess. Um, so yeah, and then you know throughout my sobriety, um, I had uh, an ex girlfriend who I dated for three years in college, who remained was in our tight knit friend group, and unfortunately she was also an alcoholic and she passed away. She wasn't able to, and that was hard because I was already in recovery and felt like, you know, I was trying to do what I could. It just wasn't enough. So, you know, we, my friends saw both ends of it. They saw me staying sober um, and they saw her struggling with it and then ultimately succumbing to alcohol related illness. So that was a, a tough thing for all of us. Uh, but through that, also a lot of good, you know, people reached out to me and said, Hey, you know, I have a family member. Can you talk to them? Mm. And, you know, so there was a little bit of a, a silver lining from that awful situation where, you know, uh, through her death, people were reaching out to me and saying like, Hey, I don't want my family member to, to pass away. Can you, can you talk to them? So, so I know you mentioned, um, that you've been sober ever since that time where yeah. you started going, mm-hmm. which, which I think you said beforehand before we started recording, it's been about five years. Right. Correct? It'll be six years on Cinco de Mayo <laughs> coming you know? up. How about that? Hmm. Yeah. And so um, you said you started going to meetings, and so I would assume that you've worked the steps. Yeah. Some mm-hmm. of that. Um, how has the steps working through them beneficial to you? I guess because it gave me direction. I mean, really, I think that um, you know everyone's sobriety is slightly different. But everyone has similar, you know, you can all relate to similar situations in life. Um, it might not be exactly the same. You know, there are certain things that my sponsor and I were very different um, in, 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 in our lives. But then there are certain parts of it where we were like, oh, wow, we are very similar in this aspect of it. Uh, so I guess just for me, with my personality type, having that structure and, you know, like forcing myself to work through that uh, one step at a time as opposed to... Um, trying to do it all at once, which is overwhelming, uh, it really forced me to slow it down because I'm one of those that I just want to go ahead and do it, you know, get it done with. Let's just you know check it off the list and move on to the next thing. That sounds like a it's yeah. a semester. It, it's a semester size book. Yeah, you be done with it, it in it a semester, is. and you're I, done. I read the book in like two days, and <laughs> you know, like let's go. I got this, and it's not about just you know knowing what to say and, and reading everything. It's about the process, and I quickly learned there's a difference between being sober and changing your daily lifestyle because you could be sober and still not be living a, a great lifestyle of recovery. Um, you know, we can be white knuckling it, uh, or as they say, like dry drunk. Uh, and even now in my sobriety, I'll find myself having like a bad few days. I'm slipping into like old habits and it's not that I'm afraid I'm going to drink, but I'm acting in a way that I was acting when I was drinking. I'm like, well, what's the point of being sober? I need to go ahead and, you know, fix that. So I get the most out of it. Because if I'm going to do it, I want to get the most out of it. Right. Mm-hmm. So if you were talking to somebody who's just fresh in recovery, what what do you think some of the the biggest pitfalls early on in recovery is? Um, I think not planning ahead for situations like just getting caught off guard. I know, especially with the holidays coming up. You know, I, I've been to plenty of holiday parties where there's nothing but alcohol to drink. It's like all over the place, free drinks. Here you go. Have at. And, and those are situations where normally there's not a lot of alcohol around people who are drinking that they drink maybe twice a year, you know? So mm. there's kind of that like unintended peer pressure. 
oh, what do I do? How do I decline a drink? And and that's just, I, I think a lot of people get caught off guard. They're not prepared. So just planning ahead, you know, having a drink in your hand at all times is like a Diet Coke or, or oh, whatever. Yeah. Then people don't like to offer you stuff or politely declining or like, hey, I'm on antibiotics. You know, I can't drink. Just, just say <laughs> yeah. something, yeah, right? You know, I, yeah. um, because it's not their business, but yeah. you also need a, an out to, you know, be you know, politely decline. Uh, and then, you know, I've had uh, people ask me multiple times. I decline, decline. Finally, like, hey, I'm in recovery. And then they feel all guilty. Like, <laughs> I'm like, That's why I didn't want to tell you. Uh, but thank you, though. Uh, but <laughs> I, really just having a plan. Um, that's the main thing. Of course, uh, finding a, a sponsor is good just to mm-hmm. have someone to, to talk to you and not feeling that, that you're going to be, you know, bound to that person for the entirety, you know, I think 80% of the people that find the sponsor usually get a different one, you know, but you see someone to say like, here's the right path, hop on it. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's very helpful. Yeah. Well, um, with your job, you're uh, a social media influencer. Um, so they tell me you're the first, very important. I know. (laughs) Russell's the first one I've ever met. Um, but with your job, you inevitably have to go to places where they're serving alcohol. Yeah. So, so tell me about that and I how that earlier, was. Earlier, I, I think I spend more time in breweries now uh, than I did, you know, when I was drinking. You know, so that's there where everything happens. You know, and I think too, and I wouldn't encourage someone who's just recently sober. It's probably not the best idea to go hang out in a brewery. That's probably not great. Um, but you know, in my case, uh, when I go to breweries, there's a lot of other things to do. They're not mm-hmm. just sitting around just the beer or the alcohol. It's a community style thing, and I really like that about the the Birmingham brewery culture. Uh, and I really think that they've done a lot for Birmingham. Oh, yeah. Uh, Free the Hops is one of the best things to happen to our city as far as growth goes. Says an alcoholic. Says an alcoholic, <laughs> right? That. So, But, uh, you know, that being said, you know, if you, you just kind of like know yourself, know what you're okay yeah. with. And if you don't feel like you can, you know, comfortably sit around people drinking, if you're just going to be resentful the entire time and you're not going to enjoy yourself, <laughs> why <laughs> hang yourself yeah. through it, right? Yeah. It's like being on a diet and going to the candy store. Like, I would not want to do that. Um, and then you have your wife with you. Yeah. So. Right. And, you know, she might have a glass of wine. That's fine. Yeah. But she, you know, earlier on in my recovery, she asked me, like, is it okay? Are you fine? Do I need to quit drinking as well? And I was like, no, 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 that's, that's fine. Uh, you know, so it's just, it's, I think every person, it, they have to make that judgment call. Uh, but I do have to be around people all the time. A lot of times I have like a Red Bull in a cup and people assume it's alcohol. A lot of people don't mm-hmm. know I'm in recovery just cause they don't, they haven't seen me post about it or heard me talk about it. And they just assume I have a drink in my hand and I don't correct them. But yeah. also if they ask me, I'll, I'll tell them if they ask. You're not like, not a drink, right. not a drink. Yeah. Unless I post on Instagram and that, you know, I'm, I'm like, this is not alcohol. You know, <laughs> I, I do make a point so, yeah. at that point. Yeah. So what is it like? Um, you're in the public spotlight a lot um, through what you do. What is, what, what have been some of the surprising things, good or bad that has come from, being in the spotlight and being in recovery. I think the uh, the best thing, like the highlight of it, is when I get messages, especially, um, like I said, my, my sobriety dates on Secret de Mayo. Ironically, I used to love tequila, so it's just it's very ironic. But um, <laughs> so I will post my chip every year. And that's, you know, no matter what, I just feel like it's, you know, I want to put that out there. And I'll have people message me and they'll say, hey, I'm, I'm, you know, four months sober and I'm just so happy that there's someone I can relate to or mm-hmm. that you know, I can see that you're able to go out and have fun and not drink. It, it's possible. Um, and that's really cool. Or when I have friends that uh, I've met either through the blog or knew beforehand, they send me a photo of their chip. 
You know, that's really cool. Mm. You know, I had uh, someone sent me a, a you know, whether it's a 30 day or whether it's a one year, it's just so cool. And it just makes my entire day, my entire week when I get a photo of a chip from someone, that's just really, really neat. Uh, but it, I guess to downsize, it does feel like there's a little bit of a, um, you know, I'm always hesitant if I'm like carrying a drink or something like that, you know, in the back of my mind, is someone going to think that I'm drinking or, but like, no, I'm just taking a, you know, a glass of wine to my wife or whatever, but I just have to be hyper aware, but mm-hmm. also as an extra layer of accountability, which, you know, that's good for me personally. Oh yeah. Well, do you think that being open about recovery has maybe caused you to miss opportunities that you would have gotten if you were not open about your recovery? I don't think so. At least not that I'm aware of. Um, if it has, that's probably an opportunity I didn't need to take. I'm just going to chalk it up you know, to right. that. Uh, but yeah, not to my knowledge. Um, and I think too, with social media, it's interesting because there's a thing called the Facebook facade is what I like to call it, where you see the pictures of the perfect family and all that. And then I know that you know, this family is going through a whole bunch of stuff because one of the spouses has, you know, an active addiction issue. But if you look at their Facebook, it's it all great. Hallmark yeah. cards oh, or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> but and then at the the other side of the coin is then it could be used as a tool to share a story. I mentioned to y'all earlier before we uh, started recording that I had a friend I went to college with and that friend was able to share their story on a, a personal blog and they were anonymous. Of course, their friends knew who they were, but they were open enough about it that I was able to follow their story for a year and a half before I got sober. So when I did get sober and I was, you know, going to my first meeting thinking like, what am I doing? Uh, I knew there was at least one person out there that had been through everything I'd been through, gone to the same parties, done the same shots, you know, all that stuff. And I was like, okay, I had, I know one person I can talk to. I'm not in it mm-hmm. by myself. Yeah. And had that person not been, uh, pu- you know, f- somewhat public about it with an anonymous blog uh, in, in sharing their story that I would have been a little bit more um, timid about getting my first chip, I think. Yeah, I asked that question because, you know, I know when I first got into recovery, um, especially there in those first couple of months, mm-hmm. I thought my life was over. Right, I, I, yeah. Everything. And I had been like this black sheep. Now I've been cursed with this disease that I, I'll never rebound from. Right. Everybody looks at me like I've got the plague now. You know, yeah. And I just thought that's kind of the way it was. And I've come, most people don't really care that I'm in recovery. And they will respect it when they yeah. find out that I mm-hmm. am. Now, there were some of my old people that I ran with that, that I can't call friends right. that I had to separate from because, I mean, they were struggling just like me. Now right. that I look back mm-hmm. at it. But then I did have those people you're talking about who were glad that I would got yeah. help. They've been saying I needed help for they're years. Like, yeah, I just didn't mm-hmm. to listen. Yeah. So, I mean, I mean, just being in recovery is not a, a negative thing. No. And I think, I mean, I get so much out of just recovery in general. It's not just about not drinking, as I stated yes. before. If you're really working a program and, uh, you know, even if you work a program and, and then you're just, you know, actively sober, um, that's, you get so much personal growth out of it. Uh, you know, why I quit drinking, I remember that, oh, I have anxiety. Yeah, that's lots of fun. Now I can't drink <laughs> and I have anxiety. I'm going to social situations. But, um, you know, I had to learn how to deal with that in a more constructive way. Uh, so I really think people that some of the best people I know in Birmingham are in the recovery community. Uh, they are phenomenal people. And then like every so often I'll find out that someone's in recovery. I'm like, oh, that makes perfect sense now because oh, they're yeah. an amazing person. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, and, and sometimes I tell my wife that I'll get more out of a, a meeting than I do Sunday school because 
it to me it's more real. You know, it's like these people are going through it. And you can't go into Sunday school and be like, "Well, I drank last night." Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so uh, be like, "Oh, yeah." And you know, when you walk into a, a meeting, you, you have to check your judgment at the door. You mm-hmm. can't, you know, because I I might not have been under overpass or brown bag, but I could have been one year away from that. Oh, yeah. I don't know. You know. Oh, yeah. or, so it, it's just a matter of that could have been me, and I'm just very grateful it wasn't me. Uh, and people have circumstances you don't know their story, uh, so you just that's one thing I really love about recovery is that you just you can't judge people because you all are in it together. Yeah, yeah. I found that, and we talked we've talked about it before, but it, that recovery is kind of like us all playing by the same playbook, like right? Got, and, and so if you're in recovery, you kind of know the same twelve rules, if you will. Mm-hmm. And, and rules probably ain't the best way to describe that. But you know we play by the we play the same game, right? And so we know how to offer amends to someone yeah. we've heard. We know how to take an inventory. We we know what it takes uh, with you know those daily disciplines. Yeah. And so those are important things to us. And when we start lacking those things, we see that maybe we are becoming more anxious yeah. about things. That we've quit doing the things that got us sober, among other things in our lives. Right. What's funny is when I first uh, got sober, I, you know, made a promise myself and I told my wife, like, I'm never going to be a guy that goes around and says, like, you're an alcoholic. You need to go to the meeting. You, need to, you know, I don't want to beat people over the head with the book kind of thing. What I found, though, is people who weren't necessarily um, in active addiction that I was sitting there going, like, man, that person needs to go to some some meetings because they would get a lot out of it. They need to, it had nothing to do with drinking. It's just, like, they need to go and, and work on some character defects. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny how you were talking about how sometimes we change sponsors and um, there was a difference between recovery and um, sobriety. Right. Mm-hmm. And, but I know I've been to meetings before that you go in, there There may be some people in there that are like miserable. I mean, yeah. Like, like been been clean for a while and you're mm-hmm. like, maybe, maybe you need to work some steps. I mean, yeah, I get that you know, mm-hmm. you're mm-hmm. sober today, but have you really worked these right. things? Because you look miserable today. Yeah. And, you know, um, it seems to me like you're not that person. Not today, you know, and, and I, you know, I have good days and bad days. As I mentioned earlier where I'll have, you know, a rough day and just kind of get, you know, down on myself about something. But then, you know, that's what's so great about recovery. You have something to turn to, to like, oh, I know how to fix this. I have a playbook, as you said. And to kind of like, you know, paraphrase Nick Saban, it's a process. Uh, you're never, it's about the journey. It's not uh, about attaining perfection. No, it can be perfect. It's about just working towards it. Uh, it's just constantly polishing that up. So, yeah. I don't know. I like, I like the idea of trying to be perfect. <laughs> uh, it, it, it sabotages me all the time. Yeah, that's one of those things you do struggle with. Yeah, I'll talk to my sponsor about it. Yeah, and he'll tell you the same thing. <laughs> I got a feeling. So, Russell, we're coming towards the end of the show, and we ask these same four questions to everybody. Yeah. And previously, we've always sent these to someone so they'll be ready for them. However, yeah. we did not do this to you. Um, we literally read these to you right before we hit yes, record on fault. this podcast. <laughs> and so you have had zero time to really be ready for this. And so um, if they're not exactly the way you want to answer them, we understand because Jason dropped the ball. It's not <laughs> You know, I'm going to pass blame that way. I take responsibility I I now it. in recovery. <laughs> so here are the four questions, um, the final four, as we call them. Okay. Uh, the first question is, can you name a book other than the Bible, a movie, or a podcast that has changed the way that you look at an area of your life? 
Let's see, uh, I'll just go with one of my favorite films, Dead Poet Society, Robin Williams. Oh, yeah. Phenomenal. I usually watch it at least once a year, twice a year. Uh, and it really just, you know, challenges the way you look at things, um, your perspective on life, you know, seizing the day, uh, but not, you know, overindulging in it. Uh, so that's one of my favorite films. Uh, as far as books go, uh, both Siddhartha and The Alchemist are very similar. Mm. Yeah, they're about someone going on a journey to try to, you know, find happiness and and end up looking within to find that. So, yeah, I just had the opportunity to read that one, I think, last year. Yeah. And I've got it. I see you looking already. I've got it at the house. If you want to read uh, I hadn't read that one. I read Siddhartha uh, last year. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Okay, so number two is if you had a blank billboard. Uh-huh. Uh, to share advice with the world, what phrase would you put on it? Oh, man. Uh, I would say um, don't take things too seriously. It's going to be okay. Uh, a lot of times we get hung up on our flaws, mistakes, uh, and have to look at them as, as learning opportunities. Um, and, you know, it's okay if you make a mistake. It's fine. There might be some fallout from it, but it's going to be okay the sun's going to come up tomorrow, and you'll be a better person once you you know learn the lesson from that mistake. Jason, did you hear that? It's a big billboard. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know. Just making sure you heard that. Okay. <laughs> uh, that, that. That is so true oh, yeah. because I, I'm one of those. I, I kind of fall in the bracket with Jason about trying to make everything perfect. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I, I got to give myself grace and realize right. that I'm going to fail and what's the little saying about you just fell forward? Yeah. yeah. Um, and so, you know, if I could just learn from that mistake, then it's not a loss. And in on the you know entrepreneurial world, they have a, a phrase called fail fast and fail often. And it, it doesn't mean set out to fail. It just means that if you try something, if you're going to fail at it, just do it quickly, like rip the bandaid off and move on. Mm. Uh, as opposed to a slow, miserable failure that you're kicking yourself over and then you prevent yourself from moving on. Right. So, yeah. So the third question, when talking about the 12 steps, as we've been doing, what is your favorite step? Oh, okay. So uh, turning your will and your life over to God is is up there, but also spreading the message to others. Uh, those two, because one is um, internal, one's external. So I kind of look at, you know, and they're kind of on, you know, opposite ends of the list, mm-hmm. as it were. Um, but I think that, you know, as far as I've never been one that's felt called to like evangelize however there's a verse in the bible that's you know no man lights a lamp and puts it under a bushel and hides mm-hmm. it under a bed but puts it on a stand so that those who enter the room can see by it and so it's not that i'm taking it out to show other people it's just that i'm trying to keep my lamp lit so if someone happens to be in the vicinity that they can you know learn from mistakes i've made yeah that's good oh yeah and so finally, the, the last one is the easy one. So you've made it through the hard part yeah. is, is the fourth one is how can people reach you? Yeah. So, um, happenings in the ham.com, no G it's like happenings because we want to use G's in the South. Uh, you can also find us on Instagram. It happens the ham, Facebook happens the ham on Twitter. We're BHAM happenings. Cause back when we first got our Twitter account, it was too long of a handle. So uh, we're BHAM happenings, uh, same on Snapchat, but that's just Amber posting cat pictures most of the time. Oh. So, <laughs> so. It, it makes me feel like we're really lacking in our social media they just rattled off all of them yeah like it's we, yeah it's like whackable with social media you know you have to do one here one over here it's a, it's like a we've got so thing. we've got an instagram mm-hmm. but we like rarely use we it. need instagram lessons yeah. or something yeah. well but, i need social media <laughs> yeah 
So what is what is happening in the ham? Give a yeah. Little... So my wife and I started this blog, and I will say that you know had I not been sober, this wouldn't happen. Right. So it's probably the best thing to come from my sobriety. Uh, we were always about finding free and low cost stuff to do in Birmingham. So instead of dropping forty five dollars in the movie theater, my wife's like, "Hey, the the orchestra's playing at Rover Park for free." Mm. And so she started sending out an email to her coworkers like, "Here's what Russell and I are going to do this weekend." So then she turned it to a newsletter so she could send it as a PDF for her friends. She'd been doing that for about four or five months. And then I was like, let me see what you're doing. As soon as I saw it, I bought the URL, you know, signed up social media. And we had no idea what we were doing at that time. We built a WordPress site. We've since had another company build us a a much better website. But uh, yes, we were just sharing our journey and what we were doing and promoting the free, low-cost, and nonprofit things going on in Birmingham. Mm. And really, Instagram, we just got it at the right time and kind of rode that wave. And now we have about 30,000 followers on Instagram. We have over 10,000 on Facebook, about five or 6K on Twitter. And we just share our Birmingham experiences. We're just trying to change people's perception of what Birmingham is. Yeah. Through visual, you know, pictures and video yeah. and all that. Yeah. I know me and uh, my wife, Dakota, I, I think we've done things that she found on awesome. uh, Happenings in the Ham. And everybody very likes free and cheap. And it's free. Yeah. yeah that's, a lot of you know, things. It's, it's free and cheap most of the time. And if it costs over 20 bucks, it, it's usually a fundraiser for a great cause. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess that kind of wraps up our show. Well, and thank you for coming and sharing your experience, strength. And thank you for having me. And um, again, you know, for our listeners who maybe want to share that same hope with others, we'd love to hear um, their testimonies. Um, you know, you can send that to us again at soberholicpodcast at gmail dot com. Um, put it on our Facebook page. We'd love to hear more about it. So, or Instagram. We got an Instagram. <laughs> we do have this. I don't know He's the there. handle to it. What is the handle? <laughs> It's Soberholic Podcast. Podcast. There you go. I tagged all before I came in. At symbol Soberholic Podcast. Hash symbol? At. Oh, the at symbol. Hashtag. I I, I don't know. I just started using hashtags. I don't know what that. Yeah, my my son, he like does this whole, like this. I can't do it because I don't have two fingers. (laughs) (laughs) You you got a hand joke in there. Oh, you got a hand (laughs) joke. So anyway, we better get off here. Yeah. All right, so I'm Roger. I'm Jason. We're signing out. Thanks for listening to Soberholic with Roger and Jason. If you like the show and want to know more, check out SoberholicPodcast.com. Please remember to leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. See you next week, Soberholics.